Welcome to another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Hanley, and coming to me from the same car, (laughs) now that he's finished beating up a couple of FBI agents and going on his merry yet bruised way, (laughs) is John McMahon. Wow, thank you, Daniel. That's a high estimation of my fighting skills, but I'll take (laughs) it. Uh, I'll take it. Should we tell people where we are? (laughs) It's such a bizarre recording experience. (laughs) So it's fall break for Daniel and I. We've obviously been away a little while uh, here on the Not Quite Great Books podcast. We'll explain why in a second. We are literally in the backseat of my car recording into subpar audio equipment because uh, is a very bad spy. I forgot the adapter for the microphone. You did not bring the right tech. But I did not. I didn't bring any tech, so <laughs> honestly, you're a better spy than I am. Yeah, so this is not going to be the number one audio quality, but you don't come to the Not Quite Great Books for audio quality. You come for the quirks in our audio quality. Something like that. And we appreciate it. Something like that. So what, what have we done today so far, Danielle? Well, first we went to a great diner. Yeah. Then we got matching tattoos. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> um, I'm a really big baby, and I was like, I've been talking about getting this owl tattoo for a million years, and John's like, we should do it together. Yeah. I'll do it with you. And and so, thus, we got matching tattoos of Athena's owl. Yes. John's is on his forearm. Mine is on my ankle. Amazing. Shoutouts shout to NY Tattoo Gallery in we Troy, love. New York. We uh, love it. You know. And... SpawnCon for them. Yeah, definitely. No, it's not even SpawnCon, but they didn't give us anything. They didn't give us anything. Wonderful tattoos we gave them money. That we gave them dollars for. Yeah. Uh, you we, can check out Twitter, I guess, for photos. Yeah, they're on tw- on Twitter, also on John's Instagram. Yeah, which you can't get to because it's <laughs> private. <laughs> but yeah, check out on Twitter. You, if you follow Not Quite Great Books on Twitter. Uh, you at know. Not Great Books TV. It, very nice. <laughs> well done. Um, Rate and review. I, we say that at the very, very end in the pre-recorded outro, but we should well, probably say yeah. that early. This is a podcast, I guess. I guess it's a podcast. It'd be nice if there were listeners other than the <laughs> two, question mark. You know, we'll take two. We'll take we'll two. We'll endeavor after three, yeah. question mark. Great. <laughs> the wisdom of Athena guiding us. How could we fail? And her owls. And her owls. Literally. Literally. Yeah. Uh, so we have been away a little while. Sorry about that. Yeah. But can I reuse the joke I made? on Twitter on the podcast? One million percent. Okay. Sometimes, just like the Jennings, they'd like to get to their true devotion of spycraft and the cause of the Soviet Union, but sometimes you gotta, like, deal with travel, air travel emergencies in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, hopefully not everybody died in a plane crash. Thanks, Paige. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so, Paige. <laughs> uh, just like that, sometimes academia keeps us away from our true devotion of the Not Quite Great Books podcast. It is true. We have been working on some other secret, not-so-secret projects. Yeah. Well, you've been doing more work on that project well, than Well, we've I both have. been kind of working on it. Well, it'll, it's like a five on the scale of working on for both of us, like, average-wise. Um, <laughs> Great. I eat Danielle at like an eight and I'm at like a two. You wrote a whole new section. Yeah, subsection. (laughs) Although I did only write like 900 words and it's Danielle knows that's not easy for me to. That, but also they are 900 good words. Thank you. Which is, that's the harder part, right? Like I could write thousands of words a day and most of them are dribble. (laughs) But I have to write the dribble to get to the non-dribble. Disagree, but okay. I mean, you're very kind. 
Um, but yeah, we've been working on some writing projects that we are trying to get off our plate so that we can devote our full energy to right. this podcast. So I would much rather give One million time percent. to you than academia. Oh, yeah. Well, this is our like compromise version of giving time to academia, where we like do it together. <laughs> yeah. And it's loosely the cave. The cave is our, uh, yeah. But the cave is the whole podcast, so it's, Also you know, true. Yeah. Also true. So should we get into... Um, Season Americans. three, episode one. <laughs> yes, Americans, episode one of season three, Est Men, directed by Daniel Sackheim and written by Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. So we have our two showrunners writing this episode. We have a longtime director to the show directing this episode. Danielle's got a summary for us, presumably. Yeah, so the plot summary from IMDb is tension simmer between Philip and Elizabeth as they disagree over handling orders from the center. When Elizabeth loses key intel, Philip enlists Annalise on a mission with an unexpected outcome. Okay. Well, lots of innuendo. Lots of innuendo there. there. I guess I support the non-spoiling the details, but still. Yeah, it's non-spoiling the details, but it also, like stitches things together in a kind of weird yeah, way. So maybe Just like we do every week. <laughs> I was I was going to say maybe let's try to stitch things together <laughs> in a slightly different cool. differently weird way. Great. <laughs> so I think like one of the so this episode is entitled S-Men. We sort of start with um, maybe not start but like one of the 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 big moments in this episode is we get Philip and Stan at like an Est meeting. Weekend? First weekend of Est training. Which was wild. I believe in my notes it says, what is this cult? Oh, it must be Est. <laughs> yep. Also, like, why is why is this guy the Est guy? No, I, like, I've got a lot of questions about how dumb someone needs to be to, like, buy into this bullshit. The problem is that Sandy seems to have achieved a lot of emotional clarity in a smart way from Est. But it sounds like she just needed that clarity. She didn't necessarily need Est for it, right? Like, Fair. I think there's, like, a, a, like, causation correlation thing happening yep. here. That's high statistics, <laughs> oh, as yeah. far as I know. The most statistics that we are going to get on this podcast. Um, and so we thought that one way to sort of track the different, like, plot points in the article was to to think about one of the big takeaways from S, this idea of experience and not experience. Yes. Like, so apparently there are many times in this life where we are thinking we are experiencing our life, the people around us, the moments in our lives, but if we follow S asshole, we're actually not experiencing them. We're in the realm of non-experience. Daniel, what's the example he gives of non-experience when the, you know, we have our, our helpful stand-in for the viewer <laughs> in the audience being like, what the fuck are you talking about, my dude? Uh, how can you non-experience something? And, you know, he's got an answer. When you are thinking about her orgasm, are you experiencing? <laughs> I, I just want to say, and, like, this is really true to the, like, the cave is the whole podcast. <laughs> but, like, this, like, experience, non-experience, you're not really experiencing just feels a little bit like, like, cotton candy Marxism like the the mm. most interesting parts of Marx for me like the like this thinking about the species being and like and all of that but like funneled through this absolutely bullshit way well it's like the most ancient part of Marx right <laughs> exactly it's the most Aristotle Marx <laughs> yeah exactly or one of the two or three places flourishing yeah um but it's like that idea, but let's like funnel it through the most process, bullshit, nonsense way to think about it. That is consistent with 80s self-help. Totally. A la capitalism. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So. 
Anyway, I don't know. When you're thinking about her orgasm, are you experiencing? When you're thinking about what's happening in the Americans episode, uh, season three, episode one, are you experiencing? Like, this is a question I guess we're going to keep asking ourselves. It is, and I think it's a question that we're going to try to use to think about what characters are, in fact, experiencing the world and which are not experiencing the world, and how is that working in terms of the first episode of this season, the aftermath of last season. Though it's notable that there's been a time jump. There's been about six months from April 1982 to November 1982 from the season two finale to the opening of season three. Which makes sense because when we started, I was like, are we really not going to like do any of the like processing of, of how season two ended? But then it's like, oh, it's clear that there's a time jump. So no, we're not processing, at least not right now. We are just like forging ahead. And by not doing that processing, right? The characters themselves, with one exception that we'll get to, are not experiencing what happened at the end of season two. Would Could we say that? We could absolutely we could say, say that. that. All right. So let's start with one of our two Estmen. Yes. <laughs> let's start with Stan and uh, and Sandy. Yeah. So Stan <laughs> goes to Est, thinks it's total bullshit, tells Philip as much on the way home. Fair indeed. Um, they decide to go <laughs> to go get beers instead, because yeah. this is now their version of bro time. Sadly, no racquetball. I promise you, Daniel. I know we is haven't coming had racquetball back. in so it's long. Coming. I don't know if it happens this season, but I promise you, racquetball okay. is coming. Uh, so this is their bro time: is that Philip is supporting Stan, and then they go get beers instead, talking about how it's all bullshit. And then Stan makes what we have to presume is like one of the tenth or twenty or thirty attempts he's made to yeah. try to reconnect with Sandy. He brings a box of just one box. Of stuff Just over to her, which probably is why he's, you know, prolonging this situation, even though it's been six fucking Here months. Here is one Hershey kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Good Hershey kiss. Was that an intentional reference no. to the show? There's a commercial for Hershey kisses that plays oh, no, while I Henry's like watching TV. Subliminally, <laughs> like, entered my brain. Yeah. Slash the tattoo shop to give us chocolate after yeah. we were done. <laughs> That's so. what I was thinking about. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so Stan brings a box over and tells Sandy he's been to Est. Yeah, and Sandy asks her how how you know how he felt. How like, oh well, it was it uh, it was fine. Yeah, and Sandy calls him out like she doesn't say you're not experiencing S, right. but that's kind of what she's saying in the uh, argot of the of S. Yeah, she's like she calls him on his bullshit, and like which I think to your point earlier, like she's experienced some clarity like through at least like like through engaging with S, and then. We're sorry, so we're recording literally in a parking garage overlooking the Hudson River. And great view. Great view. And there's not car the, sounds. Not the quietest place. Not the quietest. But also not, not the quietest place. Yeah. And Sandy, who, of course, as you point out, Danielle, sees through Stan's bullshit, also doesn't need Stan to tell her that he thought it was bullshit. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I knew. Yeah. And so there's like, you know, we get the clarity that Sandy has been provided with. Yeah. Whether or not Est was, or the role that Est played in that is, I think, to your point earlier, an open question. Well, and I think to come back to this, like, experiencing, non-experiencing, Stan is not experiencing. And it sort of, like, doubles down on the whole Est, on the Est of it all, right? Like, he's not experiencing Est. He's not experiencing the clarity that you should experience via Est. And it's like, here we see the divide between Stan and Sandy as it has materialized through Est, but also we can now explain it using Est terms. Was Stan experiencing himself or experiencing life when he was with Nina? I think so. I think that's what we're supposed to take away from this. That, like, 
that that is a realm of experience that he wasn't able to tap into with Sandy. Yeah. Right? Like, that's my sort of read on it. Um, I also, I told John this before he started recording, but I thought that Stan was now living in the safe house. I don't know why I decided that. <laughs> That's He's a, not. <laughs> see, if, if you ever needed to, like, write some, you know, some... Write a treatment yeah. for an Americans episode. Yeah. Just, like, like, fast forward six months later, Stan is just, like, <laughs> making himself, like, a vodka, like, taking vodka out of the freezer and, like, <laughs> cooking on a, on, like, a Bunsen burner stove. <laughs> like... Some ramen. <laughs> He's having Something ramen like and vodka in the safe house. You haven't seen Don't Worry Darling, but there's like a Don't Worry Darling uh, comparison that would be really funny, but I'll, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers, right. Um, for this crucial piece of cinema. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. So maybe we can actually kind of move on from one of our est men uh, to talk about Elizabeth. Yeah. So Elizabeth is, of course, not... Initially, initially, but her big opening scene or opening kind of set piece in this episode is she is working a source, somebody who was like a former, we're led to believe, like not like a step up from kind of secretary at yeah. the CIA. She was able to, she tells Elizabeth and Elizabeth in disguise, of course, she went to one mission in yeah. Nairobi, so on and so forth. She was like never given credit for it. Yeah. There's an interesting line to pursue, like thinking about who gets credit for what coming yeah. out of this woman's story. Well, and also um, like misogyny. Right, like within these institutions, of course. Um, but anyway, Elizabeth like gets a list of names of people working on Afghanistan from the CIA from this woman, and we see the woman go up the stairs in the bar and kind of like longly look at a payphone and call in that she's done something terrible. That's yeah. all the audio that we yeah. hear. She comes back. And she's talking to Elizabeth and trying really, really, really hard to get Elizabeth to stay. Yeah, and Elizabeth is, Elizabeth, like, reads her so quickly, right? Because this woman's tone has shifted really quickly. And Elizabeth, like, she's like, I'm absolutely not staying, but very calmly Mm -hmm. not staying. And she, I thought that this was really interesting. She wipes her fingerprints off the glass. Yep. And it's like. And the table. Yeah, and the table. And she's like. I'll see you next week slash I'll see you never. Yeah, exactly. But of course, it's a little bit too late. Um, and the FBI, the police and FBI are on their way. Yeah. Uh, including Gahad and Stan's new partner, Dennis yeah. Aderholt, are there. They end up catching up to Elizabeth, even though Elizabeth has, like, done her reversible jacket trick. Very smart. Great trick. Like, especially to be walking with a very, to, like, walk in with a very noticeable jacket. They're like, oh, she had a red jacket on, yeah. right? Blue, blue blouse, whatever. And then, like, she switches to a much less noticeable color. Like, it's a gray. Yeah, what a great spycraft trick. Great spycraft. I wouldn't. I. I, I can't even bring the adapter for the microphone, much less <laughs> think about the appropriate. It's okay. I brought no microphone. So. <laughs> so she ends up getting accosted though by Adderholt and yeah. Gad, and like a pretty brutal fight between the three of them happens. She escalates it, like, which makes sense, right? She escalates it because she doesn't want to be caught. Yeah, great. But she, like, escalates it. They try to clamp down on her. And then she kind of beats the shit out of them. 
Yeah. Not without them, like, yeah. doing some serious damage to her, too. Yeah, like, beats the shit out of Gad in particular. Yeah. Like, Adderhold is basically her match or her equal. Yeah. And Adderhold, like, has a position of advantage on her until Elizabeth throws them in the street in the path of an oncoming motorcyclist. The motorcyclist, like, goes skidding. The motorcycle goes skidding. And that's how she gets away from Adderhold. Yeah. Um, and then Gad is still there. And so she hits him in the face with his gun. Wild. There are a couple slight camera flourishes in this episode, and one of them is I, in that scene, the camera like follows as if it was the gun. Yeah. It like swoops into yeah, guy yeah, when it yeah, hits yeah, would yeah. hit God's face, it just all goes to black. Yeah. Like cut scene. Very effective. Mm-hmm. I jumped at the like when that happened on the screen. I think at the end of last season we talked about the violence and we talked a lot yeah. about escalation in the last few episodes of the last season. We talked about violence and like this was a like real quick this episode in general, and we'll talk a little bit more about this going forward, but like this episode had a a real quick pivot back to like ultra violent stuff mm-hmm. and like embodied violence. And so if we yes. think about experiencing, right? And like one of the ways that I think you and I both think about experience is like in and through the body. Correct. Which maybe we'll get to later. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like I have a tattoo, another group tattoo that literally is just the word body on our bodies, because that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but like right, so like if we think about the way that we experience things through our bodies, like not only do we get the f- the like physical of the fight between Elizabeth and Gad and Adderholt. But also we sort of see the aftermath of this with Elizabeth like icing her shoulder and putting makeup on and like having to live in that pain. And covered up at the same time, right? So she's like both experiencing the pain and projecting the non-experiencing of it. That is, I'm sure, well, I don't know, maybe not coincidentally tied with the like, I'm, I'm, it's giving Sandra Barkey the like kind of (laughs) like ways the performances of femininity through the body um, that are placed on at least cishet women um, uh, kind of requires a certain amount of like body transformation and modification totally. in totally. a way. And especially, we especially get that right like when she's putting the makeup and on. it literally hurts her and to do so. Exactly, exactly. I love that you brought up Barkey there because I think that that's like a good reminder of like like the embodiment of pain for projecting like a particular image. And that's literally what Elizabeth is doing. Yeah. And doing it to go to church with Paige. So the page of it all, maybe we can kind of get into this next. So the, I think the experience, non-experience question for Elizabeth is fascinating with regards to the opening of the entire season, Yes, which is so camera opens on like the mantle on the, in the entryway to the Jennings household, like classic eighties family photos cut to Elizabeth in the bath tub she seems to be like actually enjoying herself but then goes all the way under has a memory of trying to teach Paige how to swim Paige is very hesitant and just and she just gets out and throws Paige into the water yeah which Danielle who has experience with this has ideas about I will say that this is actually how you're supposed to teach kids to swim like you're just supposed to throw them in because like uh the your body's reflexes will like keep you afloat or like make you turn upside down so if you actually throw a little baby in the water and you can like watch videos of this on instagram and youtube you throw a baby in the water who's like three months old the baby will flip themselves like right side up so they can breathe because like that's your body's instinct Mm -hmm. so like you are supposed to just throw a child into the water now Paige is too old for that because like you're supposed to do it so that they're not traumatized and 
Elizabeth is drawing Paige when she's like five or six, and that is like in memory land. Mm -hmm. Like you are traumatized by that. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder how, if and how that experience might come back to us this season of like Paige being traumatized in various ways. Yeah. And I mean, it's an incredibly overt uh, metaphor for what's happening in this episode in which Elizabeth has been going to church with Paige to help with the anti-nuclear protests that the church is engaged in. Her and Paige are there, like, folding and stamping <laughs> materials to man They're out. They're joking about how yeah. many materials they have yeah. to... Like, there's a there's a rapport. Yeah, she's singing hymns in church. Why? How did you feel about that? I did not feel did good about it. Did you feel extremely comfortable listening no. to them sing about Jesus? No, absolutely oh not. Gosh, Literally not at all. I can't even imagine. I was like, oh, God, like, <laughs> And this kind of comes to a head then when Elizabeth and Philip, who have been mostly kept apart for yeah. the first... 10, 15 minutes of the episode, which is a notable choice, perhaps. They come together at Gabriel's safe house. Gabriel, who has been mentioned, played by Frank Langella, so I think recently been canceled, so, you know, can't enjoy Frank Langella in this too much, even though he's a great character in the show. It's clear that they have, like, a certain kind of love and appreciation for Gabriel. There's a lot of warmth in the relationship that they have. Um, basically immediately, right? There's a shorthand that they have about food and wine and their time together. And he and Philip have like clearly played dozens of Scrabble games with one another over the years. So he's been sent there apparently to like, presumably to take the place of Claudia and Kate. Well, and it's like, uh, my question is like, where's Claudia? So I feel fine that Claudia is gone, obviously. Do you Um, actually know? Oh. It's not quite a spoiler. Yeah, yeah. So Marco Martindale was, I think, in was in some other show, is like in the main cast. Oh. So she literally did not have the schedule to be able to be on the Americans at I the moment. See. I mean it fits right, it, it also fits with the with the series because like she had stepped in because Kate died. So it makes yeah. sense that they're like figuring out who's mm-hmm. the who's the new person. The other thing I thought was interesting, like with the Gabriel of it all. So I said this to John before we started recording, like, who is this guy? We obviously know him. And John reminded me that we've heard of Gabriel a lot, but I had never met him in yeah. person before. So that's one. But also that this is where Elizabeth gets those tapes, which makes way more sense because like you know, the relationship with Claudia was antagonistic. Mm-hmm. The relationship with Kate was short-lived. Yeah. So, like, that's not where these tapes are coming from. So it makes sense that someone who's been in their lives for much longer is, like, able to play that go-between in that regard. Yeah. I also love that, so she gets tapes from her mother yeah. um, back home. She finds out her mother is dying. Yeah. And I really love the choice that they made to not provide subtitles on the tape Yeah. when Elizabeth is listening to yeah, it, that yeah, it's yeah. all in Russian. Yeah. And it's just her mother's voice and Carrie Russell's silent acting. Yeah. I thought it was just a really cool way to, like, A, like, let Carrie Russell be the good actor that she is. And also to, like, do a, you know, what is it, showing, not telling sort of situation. Well, and, like, as someone, as the two, as the one of the two of us that doesn't understand any Russian, like, I didn't need to know what what the tape said to, like, be able to experience her, like reaction to it right and then like later she does explain so but like you can tell that it is a like a tough pill for her to swallow even if you don't have any of the Russian Mm -hmm. and I I, so I think like to your point like it just lets Carrie Russell sort of like be an amazing actor Um, and while there are a lot of 
there are a lot of great moments in this series so far. I think just a kind of like pure silent acting is not actually something we've gotten a ton of. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that too. Yeah. We find out in this meeting with Gabriel that Elizabeth just casually, so extemporaneously casual. Oh. tosses off, oh, it just so happens to be that I have this very specific plan with how Paige has been developed and how I'm getting in with her, getting on her good side, telling, you know, showing her the political importance of yeah. good causes, so on and so forth. And like the, talking about silent acting, Philip's look that he's giving oh her as she's giving this explanation to Gabriel Death. is, yeah, he is so mad when it like hits him, it crystallizes yeah. for him how much Elizabeth is just purely like recruiting, developing, yeah. you know, starting to run to but groom also, Paige. Like, I'm sorry, but how has he not fucking realized that great until question. now? Like, oh, now Elizabeth's just like, yeah, church is great. Come on, Philip. Like, like, come on. We didn't need Philip's like. There's like anger and a little bit of shock on his face, and it's like you don't get to be shocked. <laughs> like your wife is a mastermind. That's the whole point. Like, that's what you've lived with. Of course she's running Paige. Yep. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And Elizabeth tries to sell it to Philip as, you know, just putting on appearances for the center. And, like, speaking of experience, non-experience, Philip sees right through that. A hundred percent. Right through 100%. that. A hundred percent. Well, also, Gabriel also picks up on the fact that, like, this has caused tension. But it also, it like... It brings us back to the kind of tension that we started the series with, right? Which is, like, Philip being the more reluctant of the two and Elizabeth being the one who, like, more readily jumps into it. And, like, that's where we ended their conversation around Paige, right? Which is Elizabeth's, like, she needs something. She wants something to, like, hold on to. That's sort of how we end, like, season two, and Philip being like, absolutely not. And he's the one that goes to Arcadi, mm-hmm. right? Not to say that, I mean, Elizabeth also was, like, not into this. But, of course, Elizabeth's the one that it came around qu- more yeah. quickly. Well, I mean, as the show communicates, and this isn't necessarily the case, but it's certainly plausible in how the show presented it at the end of season two, Philip gets back from, like, you know, shock accosting Arcadi in the bookstore. Yeah. And that's when Elizabeth is like, eh, maybe it's actually something we should right, do because right. she's looking for an idea. Right, right. And uses some of that same language to Gabriel, right? She yeah, talks about exactly. how she's laying groundwork for the right idea yeah. for Paige. She's interested in the right ideas. You know, at some point we'll be able to tell her who we really are and who she really is. Yeah. Is the language that Elizabeth uses. Well, and to come back to this idea of experience, not experience, right? Like, on the one hand, like, Elizabeth is allowing Paige to, like, exist in the experience of church, but, like, is trying to render it a kind of non-experience, right? Because she's trying to render it something that has, like, a different kind of meaning. Do you think there's any symbolism to Philip and Gabriel playing Scrabble? I was like, is Gabriel going to tell Philip something on this Scrabble board that he, like, couldn't say to Elizabeth? <laughs> I like that you brought dossier brain to <laughs> Always. Always. I was like, oh. Like, first of all, I didn't think it was going to be Scrabble. I thought it was going to be, um, oh, how do you say it in English? Backgammon? Ah, Sorry. I do like backgammon. <laughs> in, in Hebrew, it's Sheshbesh, and okay. which is just a more fun name. Um, I believe that's also what, what people call it in Arabic, too. 
Um, but I was thinking it was going to be backgammon. That is my like old man, old school, like let's get the board out. Like mm-hmm. that's the one that I assume. Yeah. To me, it's something about that it's an American game played in English yeah, yeah, and yeah. so closely tied to the English language yeah. as, you know, I'm assuming Frank Langella is American, but is an American and Welsh actor. So English speaking actors yeah. playing Russians who have perfect English. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. Like, it is meaningful that it's in English, but I just wanted it to be backgammon. Yeah, that's, I think, <laughs> totally legit. There's one part of Philip's life where he is, like, hyper-experience-seeking. Uh, sexuality? Yes. <laughs> How? So we get two Martha scenes. We'll get to the second Martha oh scene. Oh, my God. What is the Martha scene where, like peak experience is happening. I mean, I think the Kama Sutra, Martha and Clark is peak experience and it is wild, right? Because we're not given any sort of like backstory leading. We are just in it. Like we are experiencing it. (laughs) There's yeah, there is the Kama Sutra book in the foreground is there in the background trying out a Kama Sutra position. Um, and like they come, they both come, they come together, yeah. <laughs> uh, fall back into the bed and are like, yes. And then they're like, let's get ready and we'll but do the, another one. The last, and there's incense in the background and there's like sitar music playing in the background. It's a real like cliche eighties moment. hundred thousand percent. <laughs> like the Kama Sutra feels very cliche eighties yeah. to me. But the thing about it that I was thinking is like. Be- there's no there's no backstory there's no context and the last time that I saw Martha her and Clark were arguing about whether they should have children and and now like we are not talking about that we're not talking no. about we're in fact not talking about anything no, no, no. we're not using words no nope. we are just grunting at each other with our bodies in these like pretzel yeah. positions Although I think it's, I mean, you're right. It's literally just about 30 seconds in the middle of the episode (laughs) with no particular connection to what comes immediately before and some connection to what comes after. But it is like a looping back to the Est guy at the beginning where I think here there's like, I mean, one makes the case that they are having actual experience. Or they're each thinking about their own orgasm, yeah. right? Or they're, yeah, they're sublimating all the tensions and the, their relationships, yeah. and that's not experiencing them, by yeah. devoting themselves to an exploration of the Kama Sutra, complete with sitar and incense. It's one of uh, two Philip sex scenes that we get in this episode, and notably, <laughs> neither of them are with Elizabeth. Neither with Elizabeth. We're not. We're there is a moment of like sweetness and tenderness between the two of them at the kitchen sink after yeah. they get Stan the fuck <laughs> Stan. out of there. Oh, I, I like when Stan's like, I, I, I see the sign or whatever, and Philip's like, it wasn't a sign. I literally told you to leave. Yeah. Stan clearly sad, like looking for you know another another brew. More bro with his, time with his bro, yeah. Ugh. Before he goes back to the safe. House. <laughs> Before he goes back to the safe house, where his vodka, vodka diet, his vodka ramen. <laughs> Doesn't it just make it more poetic? Yes, it sure does. <laughs> uh, at DBH twenty six. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So do we want to, do you have any other things you want to say about the, like, Clark Martha stuff, or should we? Let's talk about Martha's other scene in this episode where, you know, speaking of, like, intense experiences, so she's having Kama Sutra, like, 
tantric adjacent sex with Clark on the one hand. Then on the other hand, she is taking firearms lessons with instructor Stan at the FBI firing range. To be fair, Stan is the one of all the FBI agents so far that I would be like, he's the one I want to teach me about guns. Oh, 100%. He's exactly the right person. It's good thinking from Martha. Bad at everything else in his life, but seems to be good at guns. Yeah, definitely. And would probably relish the role of, like, being a masculine teacher Uh to Martha. Like, filling in the loss of his his wife with, like, his... (laughs) And his mistress. And his mistress. mistress. Oh, my God. Too much. Yeah, but turns out... Turns out Martha, once she takes her glasses off... She needs to use the sights, which are apparently near, instead of her glasses. She uses to see far. So Stan's great teaching insight. Maybe he can come to our classes and give us teaching insights. I mean, I would take I would take a like a teaching eval from Stan. Yeah, he'd be great in your gender and political theory Ooh, class. Yeah, yeah, he'd be great in it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and turns out Martha's like a really good shot when yeah. she takes the glasses off. We're going to talk about this more in the dossier, but my notes say, um, oh, my God, Martha and a gun. This is going to be an actual Chekhov's gun, yeah, isn't it? actual gun. <laughs> yeah. We like it. So stay tuned for more theories about that. Yeah. All right. We got one more and probably kind of the most visceral and most intense set of experiences or non-experiences the case may be, which is... Philip as Scott running Annalise. Yes. So it's clear that over the six months or so since the end of season two, that Annalise has not only kind of continued to develop Yusef as an agent and has gotten useful intel that she passes along to Scott slash Philip, but she now is maybe in love with him. Yeah. Or at least in love with the idea of him as opposed to A, her husband, and B, like the weird distancing of Scott Philip. It just feels like Annalise, like, this actually feels like a full misstep on Philip's part because it feels like Annalise emotionally does not fit the profile of someone who they can actually run. Yeah. Because, like, I don't think that Yusuf is the first person that she's become emotionally invested in. Yeah. Right? Like, it feels like that's her pattern. And on the one hand, it's clear that, like, they want to exploit that but that's a dangerous thing to exploit especially in the kinds of like you're asking this woman to basically have sex with men like to further your cause Mm -hmm. and it clearly seems like she is is not capable of not forming like emotional bonds even though she is really into the idea of like exercising a certain kind of power that way yeah like she loves the idea of it and like it's not actually working for her it's witnessed by like her giving Philip slash Scott a blowjob. Philip is extremely, it's an extremely sad blowjob for uh, Philip. But then, like, a couple of minutes, there's a different scene, and then a couple of minutes later, they come back, and she's crying after they yeah. have sex. And that's when she says that she thinks she loves Yusuf, right? Yeah. So there's, like, the... Obviously, she's not getting any sort of emotional meaning or fulfillment from Scott slash Philip. Philip, yeah. Yeah, and, like, but... It feels like part of the way that that he was able to, like, pull her in in general is because earlier he was sort of he was somebody that she felt those feelings for in the at like because her husband is right cheating on her or like sort of like estranged or in some way. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is not the first person within this set of missions that Annalise has fallen for or projected these feelings onto. And, I mean, we have as well 
the discussion in season two of whether or not Annalise was ready exactly. for this job. That's exactly and what I was thinking of. Elizabeth said no. Yeah. Philip said yes as a way to prove himself, <sighs> right, and, and prove himself to Elizabeth and to Claudia and Kate and to the center and all of that. And, like, turns out, no, she wasn't ready. Yeah. And, I mean, saying no, she wasn't ready, like, is kind of banal when, like, she literally gets strangled to death by Yusef in bed. It's not her fault. No. Like, none of this is her fault. So I want to be very clear yeah. about that. But also, like, it is, it was just striking to me that, like, we talk a lot about is Stan bad at his job. And I think this is one of those moments where it's like, is Philip bad at his job? Mm -hmm. Which is also a question that sort of like percolates all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's a question that the series kind of starts off with, with regard to Elizabeth. Yeah. Right. And so we're, we're getting, I don't know. They're seeding some doubt here around, around Philip. Yeah, they are. Oh, they are. And like, he is listening to, Yusuf and Annalise having sex. Yeah. Right from the hotel room next door, which is the second time we've seen that happen. Yeah. Annalise knows he's next door and tells Yusuf, like, be quiet. I need to tell you something. And then Yusuf strangles her. Yeah. Um, and, mm. you know, tells her that someone's been listening and she's doing it on behalf of Yusuf and they're on the same side and stuff. Yeah. And, like, Yusuf just responds by literally choking her to death. It made me really sad yeah. because, like, to come back to this idea of, like, experience, not experience, it's just like, oh, well, like, here's Annalise, like, very much in this experience, right? Yeah. And trying to be honest, and it's like, oh, like, honesty is never... Yeah. It's like the overlapping structures of what her, of her attempts to have experience, the overlapping structures of patriarchy and misogyny yeah. in the Cold War prevent that experience from, exactly. from, from it actually being experienced on any, like, agential or kind of, like, even, like, life literally life-sustaining terms. Well, yeah, and, like, that's, I think, like, that this is sort of, like, this big moment in the episode, and I think for you and I, this big moment, like, where some of these ideas start to, like, coalesce even more is is that it's this moment where the all of those structures like are exposed and yeah. the like impact of the structures and the absence of agency like and the way in which that like forces people into non-experience sometimes being alienated from their bodies and and like non-experience as death right yeah. like that mm -hmm. that's like the final alienation mm -hmm. and philip regardless of whether he feels sad or not for annalise yeah comes in and says, this is a terrible thing, but not so much about Annalise, about, like, Yusef is a way to now recruit and run Yusef. Yeah. Um, and he thinks on his feet in, like, the most non-experiencing way possible. Yeah. In order to... Which he has uh, to. Yeah, in order... Or he thinks he has to, right? Yeah. And again, the structures of misogyny yeah, and the Cold War. Of course, of course. Everything will require him to do so as he understands it, to, like, use this as an opportunity to have dirt, have blackmail, have info. He tells uh, Yusuf that he'll clean it up with the implication Ugh. that then Yusuf owes him. It, it begs the question, and I know that this isn't necessarily like where the show is pushing us, but where it pushed me and where our conversation is pushing us is like, is this what they were, is a version of this what they were hoping for all along, right? Like Annalise as like, as someone being run by the center like the best case scenario of that is that they no longer have to worry about her. Right. And they only want to run Yusuf. Yeah. Right. So like, which is like such it's a, a gross way point. to think about it's it. An excellent point. 
yeah, but I, I couldn't help but go there, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, it is a great outcome. Well, it ends up being kind of a, as a spy, it ends up being a great outcome for yeah. Philip. Even, and again, it's like, he, Matthew Reese plays it kind of yeah. hard to read how deeply or not he feels. Yeah. Presumably he feels responsibility. Of course, um, as he fucking yes, should. thousand percent. Ugh. Well, we've gotten through both of our Est men. We've yeah. sort of started with Stan, the Est man, and ended with yeah. Philip's, like, really complicated relationship with experience yep. uh, from Est men. So maybe now is a good time to shift into segments. Let's do it. It's a very important moment now, Danielle, especially after our <laughs> recap episode from season two, where thanks to listener Mike, oh my we're God. able to, like, do a dossier of dossiers um, to throw it to you for the first Danielle dossier of season three. Oh, I, first of all, thank you again to listener Mike. We can't wait to keep updating it. Um, we, yeah, I mean, so I have like two big entries in the dossier and there's something I want to kind of keep up as the season goes along. So on the one hand, I think I already said, we've got Martha and what I'll keep calling Chekhov's gun. Yeah. And I think like, I want to offer a prediction as to how many episodes we're going to go before that gun comes into play. Great. I think we get Martha and the gun in the finale. Okay. I think that's like, that's one of the, cause I feel like in the finale, we usually get some of these like secondary players like the the like big reveals and stuff mm-hmm. so i think we get martha and the gun in the finale the other thing i think that we've got going on in this <laughs> in this uh, episode besides the scrabble uh secret messages ah uh, yes we're going to officially call it a dossier prediction yeah okay. i mean like i i want to i want some secret messages in a board game Great. that's what i want yeah but the other dossier prediction that i want to give is i think it's going to be eight episodes. I think we're going to get Paige as, like, the reveal to Paige in the eighth episode this season. Okay. That's where I am in the dossier. I don't really have any, like, I don't know, Pastor Tim, still a sketch ball, like, trying to set Paige up on, like, weird dates, like, at <laughs> at the church. I don't love it. That is a weird move. And I guess maybe (laughs) it's like a youth group, like, Protestant, cool church youth group thing, which is sketchy, obviously, as fuck, but... Do Maybe. not like. Um, but yeah, I don't have any other, I, I don't have any other characters that I'm like, I've got my eye on you. Okay. I'm sure I will. I'm Great. sure we'll get some more recurring characters and I'll have my eye on them. But those are my two predictions for now. All right. So let's head into Gloss. Yes. And there's kind of one set of plot developments and characters we didn't get a chance to get to yes. in the main part. Although they do have a tangential tie to the experience, non-experience, and that is yeah. all our Soviet resident tour characters. Yeah. So we have Oleg, we have Arkady, we have our new character, Tatiana Yevgenievna, and they are together watching a video put together by the Mujahideen yeah. um, of killing, of executing a rush, presumably a Soviet soldier right. um, in Afghanistan. And so we have both the Afghanistan thing that is taking the, over their lives, but of course they're overshadowed and they eventually end up talking very directly about, at least Oleg and Arkady do, about Nina. Because one of the things that happens in this episode, with info we actually first get from Gad, which is yeah, interesting. which is interesting. Is that Nina has been officially uh, tried and convicted for yeah. espionage well, or treason or something. Well, we get it from Gad because Gad is telling Stan. Correct, yeah. And, which I thought was incredibly interesting and also found Stan's reaction to that interesting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oleg seems to be ex- still spooked, haunted by... I feel bad happened. for Oleg. Yeah, me too. I did not feel bad for Stan. 
but I felt bad for Oli. I think that's the right way to go. Yeah, I think that's, I hope that's the right way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have other, what else were you thinking about with this? Well, there's another cool camera shot, which is at the end of the conversation between Oleg and Arkady yeah. that they have in Arkady's office, in a part of the office we had never actually seen on camera before, um, which I enjoyed. Usually Arkady is, like, drinking a dark liquor in yes. the evening, but here they, like, they're taking huge pulls of vodka yeah. um, in the fancy crystals, which I'm a fan of. Them of and Stan and his... Uh... Yes, and Stan and his safe house <laughs> apartment. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, but, I mean, it's more that Oyeg is, I think, actually... He's an experiencing character, yes. to use the rubric of yeah. the past and then rubric of... Not just in this episode, I think, but through the entirety of once he gets some character depth in season two. Yes. So not initially, but after a couple of episodes. But even like earlier on when he's just like flirting, when he's just flirting with Nina and we can't figure out exactly yeah. what that is about, or at least I couldn't like my first time watching this, he's like, let's go to the hockey game. Let's yeah. go out and party. And like, there are like That's tons of us. Yeah. Yeah. Like all, all of these things are like let's let's experience America, right? Like right, it goes right. back to the like oh they have better cigarettes here, right? Like, <laughs> and now he's like experiencing listening to Joy Division. Oh, or something. he's so very sad. very sad. He did get a hair, new haircut. We like we the like new that. haircut. So like Cosaroni gets to be handsome. Yeah, this season into least. it. Um, but yeah, and I mean, what did you make of? We only get a little bit of Tatiana Yevgenievna. How are you thinking about Tatiana Yevgenievna? She feels like I. My read of her was like this woman could slit someone's throat if she wanted to. Like she just seemed really cold, and I felt scared. Well, she's presumably being presented as like a kind of polar, yes. polar haha opposite <laughs> to <laughs> Nina. Exactly. Want us to assume. Yeah. Um, both in looks, right? I mean, even like you know, so Nina often had her hair down, right? Tatiana's like hair is up. like extremely. But they look up. similar. They do have like some facial structure. Yeah, and like coloring, and like yeah. um. So no, I I thought I think you're right that there's like on the one hand she's like presented as the opposite of Nina, not as free flowing, not as like willing, mm-hmm. and also like the way that Arcadi talks about her, right? Mm-hmm. Like is we're supposed to like like be a little bit wary of absolutely. Of her. That's his instruction to Oleg. Is yeah, don't speak so freely in front of her. We yeah. don't know her because Oleg is just like we should get out of Afghanistan immediately, which of course is correct. One million right? percent like, correct. Oleg is right. Yes, um, agree. But he can't say that openly. Well, he can say that openly because he has political protection from his dad. Well, Although that's we what learn that only goes so far um, in one of the two great jokes in this in this season. Oh, I can't wait in this for episode, the, I should the say. jokes. Um, but yeah, and, and Arkady, in true career Soviet intelligentsia bureaucrat yeah. mode, is like, let's button everything down. Yeah. Let's figure out exactly what's happening here. I have a strong, obviously, self-preservation instinct yeah. to have become resident in D.C. Oh, I... I just really, like, I, I walked away being, like, I just feel so bad for Oleg. Like, that's yeah. sort of just where I was in this episode. And that's how I ended the last episode, right? Like, that's how I ended the last season. Just, mm-hmm. like, I sort of started last season off by being, like, who is this schmuck? Yeah. And, like, having that character had really grown on me. And so... Even in the absence, and I think Nina did a lot of work in that regard. Right. And even in the absence of Nina, I just like, I felt that absence for her. Yeah. And we get 
one other crucial piece of information in this ep- in this episode, which is there was a listening device in the safe house. Yeah. So if Stan was there, they could hear him drink his vodka and eat his ramen. <laughs> he had his ramen on the Bunsen burner <laughs> or on the hot plate. But Nina had two meetings with Stan that weren't reported. And so Arcadi seems to still ultimately think that, like, probably Nina was legit and, like, should be honored rather than punished. Yeah. But he's more, I think, willing to speak the official line of, yes, like, she did these things for us, but she did commit treason. Maybe she even loved Stan, is what is what he tells Oleg. Yeah, which, like, I think that's also where we were, right? Which is, like, maybe... I don't think that it's so cut and dry about whether or not she loves Stan. Mm-hmm. And I think it got way more complicated towards the end. Correct. And I suspect the, like, tell Nina I'm sorry letter um, was a... Red flag. A red flag or just, like, a... Yellow flag. Yeah, or just, like, a, a nail in the heart for Nina. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. Oh, what else do we have in Gloss? So lots of stuff. So the one good joke here is that um, Oleg has this line read. Because, of course, he tried to get his dad to, like, do a favor Pardon for Nina. Nina. or something, yeah. Um, and he, with, like, this gigantic, extremely sad, but also very funny smirk, says, my dad doesn't believe in using political connections for personal gains. Oh, my God. Which, of course, is a huge joke, because why is Oleg the Even head of there, director yeah. of S in America? <laughs> yeah. Because his dad is, like, the deputy right. minister of the right. railroads. So, right. Yeah, that was Nonsense. Quite, quite the moment for <laughs> Oleg. There's just, I don't know, maybe one way to think about Gloss right here is that there are a lot of new characters, right? So we've talked a little about Tatiana Yevgenievna. We've talked a little about Gabriel. Anything else from Gabriel you want to highlight? No, I like that he had Scrabble. I like that his apartment felt... I like that the apartment felt lived in, even if he necessarily hadn't Mm -hmm. been there in a while, Mm -hmm. right? There was something like that they were... They had gone there, right? Like, this was a familiar place for them. I liked Gabriel as a character. I like him more than I liked either Kate or Claudia. Yeah. So uh, he cooks. He cooks. Right? There's something about like his love of cooking. And yeah. He cooked. I couldn't quite tell what it was. I don't know if it was like loopsy, like stuffed cabbages or oh. what he had made for a little like with some of the ingredients that we see around that could have been some galoopsy. Um I'm gonna take your word for it on that one. Yeah, but anyway, he gets one of the other really funny jokes okay. in this episode, Tell which me. is um, they're done eating, and he's about to play Scrabble with <laughs> Philip, and he can tell Elizabeth the line of, why don't you go be a good American <laughs> yeah, wife yeah, and yeah, do yeah, the yeah. dishes? That was... And like, both he and Elizabeth think that's fucking hilarious, yeah. and you know what? I agree with them. <laughs> I mean, I like that they can laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, we'll get a lot more Dennis Adderholt, but any thoughts on him as Stan's new partner here? My first thought was he seemed young like but no I didn't have any other thoughts on that I'm excited to like mostly because you've said that even though like we love Stan's old partner like that this guy is a is a good addition so I'm excited to see him be an addition so I had a side convo with John Keller after the end of the uh, episode we recorded a while ago and at this point oh my god um, about that and how Adrift and how isolated Stan is without any partner yeah. in season two, and that it was necessary almost structurally or characterologically to give him a new partner to get to see the way that Stan has changed in a different setting than he's by himself and sad. Yeah, and we're also, gonna get plenty of that. Right. And also, like, we got 
stand with Nina, that Nina was this, the partner stand in mm-hmm. in season two. But like that does different work than like a professional partner. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm excited to see like a little bit of like not just sad stand. Yeah. And it's like uh, only the second black man who's actually a character on the American, which we'll take right? after Gregory from season one. Yeah, and also it seems like someone who, like, has more airtime than, than like, you know, the woman who plays, like, the maid in a couple of those yep. episodes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the other main character, or other new character, I should say, is Hans, who we'll find out is a South African oh, okay. uh, person um, who's in and being trained in the art of car surveillance and tailing by Elizabeth. Were you, like, very jealous of Hans to, like, I, get, to get lessons from Elizabeth? N- uh, yes and no. One, I was like, I want Elizabeth to teach me spycraft. I do not want any of that spycraft to involve cars. Same. <laughs> Same. But I did, I thought, like, in sort of thinking about, like, Stan and a, what a partner gives to us thinking about Elizabeth and like how much we learned about Elizabeth with Lucia. Exactly. Right. Yep. Like I think this, and I'm interested to see the way that a male like student mm-hmm. then figures into the like Elizabeth teacher student dynamic. Perfect. I'm interested in that. Yeah. Did you, did you fall for any of the, like, almost fake out there trying that maybe Elizabeth fears she's actually being followed as opposed to teaching someone how to follow in a car? Because, like, that, oh, no. that's filmed as if she's being no, followed. No, no. I, like, knew that, like, I knew that she's, that there was some teaching happening there. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. All right. So those are all, right? I think, our, our somewhat substantial new characters in Glass. But what else would you like to add to Glass? Oh, I think you got it. I mean, like, I thought you've already talked a little bit about the camera angles. I, again, was, like, pretty struck by the camera angle with the gun in the beginning. All right. So we talked about the time jump. Talked about all the new characters. We get to see a couple new parts of the Residentura. Right. Uh, both within Arcadi's office, mm-hmm. that cool camera shot. And then I th- it's at least a different angle in the corridor where Arcadi and Oleg are talking to right. one another. Right. So the only other thing in Glass that I think it's worth calling out is, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the title sequence is longer. Only because after you said, I want to talk about this in Glass, I was like, there was something different, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. So it's longer. There's an additional, like, you know, several seconds of song. Yeah. The music is longer, a longer piece. And there's more focus on the kids. Interesting. Yes, there's like quote unquote childhood photos of the oh. kids that are now cut into the title sequence. Is, does the same actor play Henry the entire time? Yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, same actor for both Paige and Henry. Well, Paige I knew because I think I've seen uh, pictures of her from like a later season, yeah. but I wasn't. We get so little of Henry so little in Henry. general. <laughs> Including this episode, he's literally just done watching TV on the couch. At least night. he's in there. I feel like we had plenty of episodes yeah. last semester. Not semester. That's okay. You also earlier <laughs> called the episode an article, which I love. And just like <laughs> deeply touched me. Just let it happen. Yeah. Um, anything else in gloss? No, I don't think so. We've actually never talked about the title sequence. That's like in the back of my head for if there's an episode where there's actually not a lot to talk oh, about. Yeah. We'll talk about the title sequence. I feel more. great about that because I usually skip it. Okay. <laughs> so oh I'll gosh. not skip it. Yeah, don't skip the title well, sequence. Well, you can easily skip it. Now it's on Hulu. But yeah. you could easily skip it on Amazon. Okay. All right, we're going to the 80s. 
Let's go to the 80s. So a new season, still don't know what the reference is. Still don't know what the reference is. I feel like we have we don't have anybody who knew it off the bat, but you to- maybe told Emily? Emily looked it up. Emily looked it up. Because she's then realized she should have known it. Right, 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 right. Okay. So we're in Barton Soldier for the Unremembered 80s, and I think the place to start here, both because of the 80s-ness and because of the role it's going to play in this season, yeah. is the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. I think that's totally right. It's it was already something that we've touched on a little bit yes. last season. Yes. Um, but it's like the main thing here, right? Like it's the it, for me, I read the like Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and the amount of airtime it gets in this episode as the kind of thing with like the setup that the Emmett and Leanne got correct. in season two. Which I think is correct. And it's also the same kind of setup as like Echo and Stealth and stuff. Exactly. It's in season exactly. two. Exactly. Because it touches multiple different characters and storylines yes. that aren't that are, like, somewhat but not fully connected. Yeah. So, obviously, Elizabeth is seeking out intelligence right. about Afghanistan early on, and that leads to the thing. Um, in the follow-up from that, we get uh, Gad telling, you know, uh, Stan how important it would be to get, to figure out what they learned and that kind right. of stuff. But the CIA is being very tight about that. Right. We learn that Oleg has a brother who is fighting in Afghanistan yes. as well in this episode. Yeah. We get Gad saying that Reagan wanted to turn Viet, uh, turn Afghanistan into, into Vietnam. Vietnam for the Soviets. So it's extremely kind of saturated all throughout the entirety of the episode. Yeah. And of course, the entire Yusuf mission is about is the intelligence yeah. about the Mujahideen that are being yeah. co That we then see the video of. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. By the ISI and the CIA. So the Afghanistan of it is extremely important. Very important. And also just like, again, something that the show is doing so well is taking something from our world that like maybe we experience, maybe we like experience secondhand through our parents, right? Or that definitely colored the experience of our childhoods in different ways and making it this key part of, of the episode, which I think like just does work to ground the show in ways that are productive for me. What a segue to another key 80s moment in the episode, which is footage of Tom Brokaw, right? (laughs) Wild. Uh Announcing the death of Leonid Brezhnev. Yeah. Um, on November, we wrote this down. Uh, no, we didn't. In November 1982. Yeah. Um, which Paige just skips right over. Yeah. Right? Like, we Turns literally get to see his, Tom Brokaw, like, say that one sentence. Yeah. The picture shows up on the screen uh, with young Brokaw, and then she goes to watch the Jeffersons. Yeah. Jefferson's more interesting than a uh, dead Russian yeah. leader. Which is hilarious. Obviously, like, that's, I think, an extremely funny moment, given... <laughs> All her parents, given all of it, you know that this is true after the death of Stalin. This is true to a lesser extent after the death of death of Khrushchev, right? The successor and how the successor is going to impact someone like Philip and Elizabeth or Gabriel, and through Philip and Elizabeth Page, yeah, right. Then the lives of all the people in the resident tour and how do the political connections get shifted or rearranged? Yeah, is a huge, huge deal. Well, and we've had all of these, like, upheavals within the show in terms of characters, deaths, right? Like, we have this—we're coming off this moment of upheaval. We actually have some of these pieces still moving around at the beginning of this episode with the Annalise and all of that. For sure. And so that that is, again, what the show is often doing so well is, like, it is— 
paralleling or mirroring what's happening at the, like, like in geopolitical terms, also what's happening interpersonally. Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple tiny 80s fashion notes. Yes, give do it you, to do me. Do you have any you want to well, throw out there? I felt like Elizabeth's haircut um, mm-hmm. was itself a uh, an homage to the 80s. Sure. We got turtlenecks. They're back. So many Once again, a turtleneck. And Sandy's jeans are the most 80s-ass <laughs> jeans I've ever seen in my entire life. Sandy is always the most 80s it's true. of them all. It's a great There's point. something about her, like, blonde, feathered yeah, hair. exactly. Oh, she looks much better in 80s clothes 100%. than the average person does in 80s Well, 100%. Clothes. Susie Meiser is, like, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, like... But her fashion vibe is, like, very... It's, like, 80s elite. <laughs> it sure is. All right. Next segment? Next segment. Yeah. We're hotboxing this car, so we, we got to... We got to right. move on. <laughs> so I believe we're up to minor character of we the sure week. We sure are. <laughs> I'm going to nominate for minor character of the week the... Um, the dude, I don't know, Dave, Dave, Dan, Dan, Daniel, one syllable white dude name, the guy that, the child that (laughs) says John, (laughs) one syllable white dude name of the, of like the A plus variety, but it's the, the kid that Pastor Tim tries to set Paige up with. Yeah. Like he's my minor character of the week. I love it. And also like. Faceless man, watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we have could not get the name of a character or actor on IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> it appears that this is an uncredited role for Dave Dan whatever. Um, but yeah, so he and Jesse, Jesse maybe Jesse. could be a Jesse. He and Paige make brief eye contact, yeah. and like Paige demurely looks away. Yeah. And Elizabeth notices this. We go. Pastor Tim, to your point, also notices this, and Pastor Tim is like, the food's here. Paige, who is, like, at the other end of the hall, why don't you get up and go help and Jesse, like, Dave, doing Daniel, an- another Mike, Scott, thing. whatever, yeah. uh, um, John, uh, with uh, the food set up. Listen, Paige, a one-syllable white yeah. woman, loves True. herself a one-syllable white dude. Yeah. And we'll see if this uh, love see story blossoms, and maybe be. if it if it comes uh, to bite Elizabeth's little let's let's uh, groom Paige mission in the ass. Yeah, maybe he'll get a name if it were to bloom. Maybe. <laughs> um, all right, I think we have gotten ourselves to the cave. I think so. Amazing. So, John, Shopping. I'm going to turn it over to you. Who are we bringing into the cave with us this all week? All right, we may have done this already. I'm losing track, but we are bringing Simone de Beauvoir into the cave love- with us, who is, you know, I think the there are many places to go thinking about experience and non-experience, yeah. but they're all far inferior to Simone de Beauvoir. 100% we can agree to this agree. for various reasons. Like, yeah. we could have gone with Heidegger, but he was a Nazi. We could have yeah. gone with, like, Husserl, but, like, Daniel and I are not from those kinds we of phenomenologists. <laughs> so we're instead going to go with the better phenomenologists. And Simone the feminist phenomenologists. Precisely. <laughs> because Beauvoir gives us a, to your point, Danielle, a feminist account of experience and non-experience yes. in a phenomenological sense that also has to do with one's body, that has to do with relationship, and also has to do with one's um, sense of their own experience and ability to have the world extend or not extend yes. their experience yeah. and kind of realize and provide external confirmation of that experience. Right? So yeah. a couple kind of key ideas we can think about from Beauvoir has to do with like the way that she uses the terminology of imminence and transcendence. Absolutely. Right? So for her and a patriarch 
patriarchal society. She doesn't quite use the word patriarchy, but that's okay. Um, we can use it for her. We can use it for her, exactly. Um, so I wrote in length about Beauvoir, and it's like, here's some anachronistic language we're going to give back to Beauvoir. But anyway, that's a different story, except not really. <laughs> Is that uh, for her, women in the patriarchal society are mired in imminence, right? Because yeah. of the structure of society, because of the beliefs, because of the uh, physical space that the world allows, yeah. um, and because of men in the world um, and the structures of masculinity in the world, women are unable to kind of achieve some sort of like exter- externalized or objectified yes. uh, trans- um, transcendence of their body, their condition, their situation as housewives or as sex objects or as love right. objects, right? The key in all of those being objects, objects, right? So they do not have the kind of transcendence that men or some men have access to right. of like life projects that are external to them in the world and that the world will provide some sort of like Hegelian-ish recognition or reflection back of. Right? And so as a result of that, there's an extreme inauthenticity to the experience of differently gendered people in Beauvoir's exactly. uh, work, albeit in different ways for men and for women. It's a uh, binary uh, sense for her, for sure. Right? And that men's experiences are inauthentic because they actually can't get recognition from the objects from whom they right. would like recognition. Right? So well, that's like... Yes, precisely. Yeah. And act as if they're going to get it, but they never can. Right. Right? And meanwhile, women experience a you know, a no recognition circuit even beginning yeah. because they're not allowed to do that. And so we can think of Beauvoir as somebody who is offering us a way to think about experience and non-experience in this gendered way and in how, you know, we had this conversation earlier about, okay, how does misogyny and patriarchy and Absolutely. Cold War logics yeah. dictate what kind of experience and non-experience can people in the Americans have? Yeah. And Beauvoir gives us some of the kind of philosophical underpinnings behind parts of that. Okay, first of all, I just need to say that John did all of that off the dome. We are in a car, so we don't have access to our normal... Yeah, there's sometimes no computer. We like, sometimes we look stuff up, yeah, or like, we like look at like, our own notes. Yeah, I can't like look up my article nope. on Beauvoir. We're in the <laughs> like, sweaty, that was car. off the top of his head. <laughs> Literally, like, my only notes are eminence, transcendence, yeah. and authenticity. Those are only the only notes I had. So, like, you're welcome, everyone. That That is how awesome at, at this John is, that he could just, like, he could just riff on his own knowledge of Beauvoir. One. Two, I think, like, this idea of seeking recognition from those who are never able to give yeah. recognition gives us a really interesting way to think about, like, patriarchal structure. But also, I think, like, thinking about imminence and transcendence and, like, coming back to the joke that Gabriel makes about, like, oh, be a good, yeah, go be great. a good what housewife, a what right? Yes. Like, there's something really interesting about the fact that, like, Elizabeth has to be put into that place, that that's not her natural, the natural place that she is, yeah. that she finds herself in. And so, like, the the sometimes shifted, like, upside-down gender dynamics between Philip and Elizabeth take on a whole other level of significance when we think about their relationship through the terminology that Beauvoir offers us. It's excellent, and it's I think, tells us something about how and why Elizabeth thinks that her spycraft, her role for the Soviets, has enabled some kind of transcendence or yeah. externalization or escape from in- inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. 
and on some level that is perhaps true, right? In the yeah. way you just said, she has to be put back into the totally. place of the housewife, totally. even though she's also playing the American housewife in her in the Jennings family. Right, she's put right? the mask on exactly. So there's there's that part. But mask is a good uh, people playing with uh, Hegel reference, right? Thinking Fanon, obviously, um, and Coulthard. But anyway, oh, I was thinking tragedy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and at the same time, like. She is trapped in trans in uh, imminence and trapped in 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 authenticity. Yeah. as a result of the Cold War logics. Exactly. All right. Oh. you got any theory ship for us? Um, are we giving Beauvoir to like? Are we assigning oh. Beauvoir to someone? I mean, I think both. Like, I rather I think everyone at S Men needs to read some Beauvoir. Excellent point. Like that feels like what what we need. I also feel like. Everyone at S Men like needs to read some like Carol Pateman sexual contract. Sure, great. Uh, I Here's just taught it last week, but it's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know something about like if you're thinking about her orgasm, are you experiencing? Makes me feel like let's think about like the way that subjugation is like embedded within yeah. like political relationships. I'm also thinking about like Nancy Tuana's like is it coming to understand? Yeah, it's yeah. A, yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah, a little bit of that for the for the est men and and for Sandy too. Yeah, like for Sandy too. What about you? Um, I would like to give all of the Soviet characters some of Che Guevara, like their erstwhile ally from earlier on and from in the sixties, uh, writing on guerrilla war because then maybe they would follow. Oleg's actually solid advice to be like, why don't we just get out of Afghanistan? Oleg, like, proving himself to be the smartest character? Ish. Ish. I mean, like, it's not a high bar. (laughs) Very true. Uh, I think we've gotten ourselves to the end of the episode. We sure have. Oh, my God. Well, it has been a pleasure recording in your car. It sure has. <laughs> and uh, I think it's fair to say that the uh, the real S-men are the friends we met along the way. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you soon. In a in future the Thursday. <laughs> a future Thursday, season three, episode two. The next episode's called Baggage. Perfect. Perfect for us. Perfect for us. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us on Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It was created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.